Now broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com. It's time for Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Let's tap into your own authentic genius and live the life you desire. Join Dr. Rademacher for an enlightened conversation about our brain intelligence, our body intelligence, and our energy intelligence. And now, here's your host, Dr. Bart Rademacher. I'm Dr. Bart Rademacher, and this is Prescription for Your Transformation. Real people, real conversations, and real success. You're tapping into that brain intelligence, the body intelligence, as well as the energy intelligence. And this is also part of the Doctor's Guide, Raw and Unfiltered, as we're, uh, we are now combining both platforms because of the wealth of information that we really want to share. Now, the Prescription for Your Transformation has been going on for about eight years now where I get to interview these amazing people like today, uh, that is Ryan Suave, and share with you the really important nuances and distinctions that you want to have so that you can better navigate the complexities of our um, health environment. Let's put it that way. I, I no longer just stick with conventional medicine because clearly conventional medicine has so many great things about it, but doesn't always satisfy the needs of the customer in so many different ways, as we now have been learning over the last 20 years, as this whole wellness industry has just skyrocketed. And with all the incredible people and insights like Ryan today, you'll get to learn you know, how is it that you can optimize your health in the most, most effective way. So Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, today is about um, mental health. And I just to put it in context for the listener, we spend, you know, one fifth of our GDP on healthcare. That's over $4 trillion um, every single year, twice as much as any other country. Yet we rank last when it come, when, when we compare uh, quality of healthcare delivery and the quality of care, which is insane because you'd think, you know, we do so much better. But 90% of that is actually for chronic illness and mental health. So clearly there's many issues going on, many unrecognized issues going on. Uh, it's easy to blame other people like Facebook for all of this, but the truth is, is that, you know, it, it is our own choice and there are resources out there that we can tap into like people like yourself. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm grateful to be here and have this conversation. I'm, I'm excited for it. And so I, I know that you're um, a medical health uh, counselor as well as a chief clinical officer. But more importantly, what that what really sets you apart, you know, from the average mental health counselor is the fact that you uh, you dove into um, all the transformational stuff in the world of personal development. There is so much. My own story was I trained for 17 years and had no clue about personal development. And my life just totally opened up. But that's a story for another day. More importantly is what you have access to so many different dimensions as to how our mind works and where you can support people uh, either through therapy or even transformational coaching. So let's talk about one thing that we talked about earlier. It's, it's really about language. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a foundational part for when we're looking, if we're looking at solving the kind of problem you identified of, of, of the, you know, rampant uh, disorders or illness or however we define it. But I think that's part of it is it's, it's not clearly defined. You know, you can look at any influencer, any Instagram page, almost any company now, and they're talking about mental health. 
or saying they're a champion for mental health or something along those lines, but I don't know that everybody's talking about the same thing. In fact, a lot of times when we're talking about someone with mental health issues, we're really talking about mental illness. And there, there is a distinction there so that we can define what the, the problem is or problems and tie that in not only to what's going on with them psychologically or what we would say mentally, but also into their, you know, we say mind, body, spirit, and we separate those things, but they're, the mind and body aren't really separate from each other. So there's a lot going on that's, you know, we need to look at complex individuals and really understand all that's going on with them in their, in their ecosystem. And I think move to a, a model once we can help people kind of get out of what the problem is to not just mental health, but more like a mental fitness model. You know, I look at it like, you know, I was seeing a meme the other day of gyms in 1975 and it, it, it showed, you know, it was basically, it was a gym with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, but everybody in the gym looked like a bodybuilder. You know, I mean, 45 years ago, there was probably one running shoe that had a tire tread on the bottom. You know, there weren't gyms on every corner. There weren't subscriptions to things that people could join. And, um, you know, now that's changed, you know, and, and not that everybody is using those gyms or using those fitness things, but at least everybody kind of has an idea of what they would like to be doing or maybe what they should be doing. It's a, it's in the conversation when it comes to our mental health or in this case, mental fitness, you know, it's, it's not a clear path. You know, there, it's not a really defined outcome. There's not, it's, it's, it's harder to look at what someone's height, weight, and you know, what their blood levels are, or it, it, it doesn't give us that there's a lot of, you know, anecdotal stuff that goes along or anecdotal descriptions and experience that goes along with it. So I think it's important for us to, to really kind of get on the same page with what language we're using, how we're defining these problems, and then not pigeonholing people into the diagnosis that they have. Yeah, I think one of the challenges, and I was listening to uh, one of the courses on NLP when they were talking about hypnosis, and um, and may have been Milton Erickson who you know stood up in this you know major conference, and and he was originally ostracized, I believe, for the work that he was doing, but at some point, you know, it's all about um, billing, and so you have to label someone so that you can actually bill, you know, the insurance company and get paid for it. Because yeah. most people are just going through insurance. And I think that might be one of the challenges for the whole, whole label thing. But, you know, shockingly to the audience, this guy would say, I just bill, um, uh, the bill, the billable thing was um, the other. So rather than giving somebody a specific diagnosis, it's just the other. And I think that's where we get really stuck, isn't it? You know, where, you know, we, one of our behavioral needs, I guess, is certainty. And so, it's all this uncertainty about how our brain works and uh, full transparency, you know, going through my, my youth and my stresses and you start wondering, well, am I sane or am I not sane or am I good or am I not good? And it's a scary journey when, when you don't have the guidance. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we have today. Um, better now, I guess, because we have so many people like yourself, but you know, we don't have enough people to say, no, you're normal. You're good. Yeah. I think that I think that's or or what is normal and normal might include or does include having these challenges. And uh, I don't want anybody to hear me wrong and think that all diagnoses are bad. I think that they're very helpful for us. In fact, a lot of time and research and energy has gone in to be able to give us our diagnostic manual that says, you know, this is what the symptoms that somebody's ex somebody is exhibiting. And these are the evidence based practices or other practices that tend to work for them so that we can classify them. But, you know, different than uh, many of the, I think, medical diagnoses, the psychological diagnoses have been changing over time. You know, uh, the, the DSM-4 
had you know many more diagnoses than the DSM five does. The DSM is the diagnostic manual. In fact, in the you know Aspergers, which most people have heard of, was in the DSM four. It's no longer in the DSM five. Now that doesn't mean those people were magically cured or they weren't exhibiting those symptoms, but it was reclassified into a, 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 a autism spectrum disorder in the second or third version of what the DSM was, homosexuality was deemed a personality disorder. And that's no longer seen like that. Thankfully, you know, you couldn't be a practicing psychiatrist if you were openly gay, you know, so these diagnoses have changed over time, you know, based on new knowledge we have and shifts in, in our, you know, beliefs or kind of cultural shifts. And so it's just the, but the diagnoses can help us, but it's just important to know that's just one piece. And when we do give a diagnosis, most of them, if, you know, I, I don't know of one that, you know, you take the blood and say, well, you've got depression or you've got anxiety, maybe that's coming, but you know, you're going to a professional who's sitting there and listening to you and they're listening to your story, your history through your current lens. And then they're hearing it through their lens. Now, hopefully they're trained really well, but they, you might be their last patient of the day. You might remind them of somebody else. And, and also if it's depression, somebody who's depressed doesn't have an accurate, well, nobody really has an accurate picture of their history. Totally, right? It changes over time. But someone who might be depressed right now is going to think, well, I was always depressed or I used to be better. And, and maybe those things aren't totally true. And then I think, I forget the complete stat, but I think the average psychiatric diagnosis in the United States at this point is something like 20 minutes or less. So people aren't spending a lot of time with each other and they're just looking at what the symptom is. And there's so much more than just what the symptom is. Right? There could be a medical complication going on. Does this person, is are they very obese and have uncontrolled diabetes? And that's not being addressed because a symptom of uncontrolled diabetes could be depression. So is that the case? Are there situational things going on? You know, are they, they really sad because they've lost somebody? I think the lion's share of antidepressants are actually diagnosed by primary care providers, not psychiatrists. And I'm not saying that they're all don't, that, that they don't know what they're doing, all of them. But I, I think that, you know, with a lot of, you can get medication online and a lot of it is like, I've told this story and this is what I'm going to get. And is this story that you have ongoing depression or are you really sad? Are you really just having a challenging time? And it could be both, right? Do you have trauma and a lot of stress going on that's exacerbating whatever symptoms you have? So there's just a lot more complexities than spending 20 minutes with somebody and understanding, you know, what their history is. And this is what they need to do going forward because there's a lot more involved and a lot more going on. Yeah, that's why I like the work that you do, because you're incorporating so many different modalities, so many different perspectives. I mean, once again, we're complex human beings. I mean, we're, we've got 70 trillion cells in our body. I forget how many in the brain. And I forget how many neurons are being made and destroyed every single second. But the truth is, is that, <clears throat> you know, when, when you simplify it uh, for people to really understand, I mean, number one, you're you're running a program somewhere and a program that you learned that uh, is is the right program, and which may be completely the wrong program, just like with any kind of computer, might be you know infected with a virus because somebody infected you with a bad idea, and now you're running the rest of your life. But it doesn't you know begin and doesn't end there. I mean, there's so many other factors. There's your genetics, and uh, if there's time later, I'll share a story of the DNA company. I mean, it, it really epitomizes the challenges that we have today. 
but also, you know, the chemical imbalances, um, your nutrition, our nutrition today is atrocious. I'm sure that's contributing to, to all the problems. And my guess, or some, uh, this is a quote I saw from somewhere else, is that if we just removed sugar from the planet, um, you know, Prozac would no longer be needed. So tell us a little bit about your approach, uh, if you will, and, and some of the other modalities that you bring in, because... For the listener, I think it's really helpful to understand that it's not just a diagnostic process with someone who is certified there, but you really want to go deeper um, in the world of you know personal development, personal transformation. Even if you are diagnosed with a mental illness, everything's going to help. Yeah, my, my early training was really working with people with complex trauma, PTSD, and um, you know, I think someone called relational trauma, which might not classify them as having PTSD, but the kind of trauma that they had in their relationships, specifically in their, in their formative years, not to say that, you know, everyone can blame their parents for anything. It's not about that, but understanding how we were shaped in our early relationships and really what you said, how, how the program that we're running was developed because whatever program someone's running, I would argue that it was effective at one point in one time. It was a survival strategy the, you know, however, if we just employ one program, it doesn't meet all situations. You know, I, I've worked a lot with executives say, and there might be a guy who's very successful in his business. He can make any sort of decision for his company under stress. He can build whatever. However, when we're working, he can't, you know, if his wife says something or partner to him that hurts his feelings, he can't handle it or he can't keep a relationship together or doesn't know how to connect with his kids. And he's really perplexed because he's so good at this one thing and and, and maybe others, but not at, at home. And when you look at the history, oftentimes he might have been designed or programmed to really be good at transactional relationships. Like he can he can make the decisions that are tough if it's if it's not affecting him emotionally or, or pull the emotion out of it. But then getting in those relationships, you know, try to be rational with a two-year-old. You know, it doesn't work. You, know, you, you can't treat, you can treat the, your family like a Fortune 500 company, but your kids will probably end up, you know, in one of our facilities at some point. <laughs> but, you know, you know you, you, it's, it's a different way to meet. It's like having different gears. You know, uh, an F1 car works great on an F1 track, but it's not going to do very well driving in the mountains of North Carolina, right? And so helping people kind of look at, what are the, the programs that I have running and using the words that you have? What, what are the strategies that I developed? And, and to take the shame out of it, saying, look, these worked. They're just maladaptive at this point. And, you know, they might be strategies that I still need to use when these situations come up. But how can I really, instead of, you know, living in a way that my history is a liability that drives me, is more of an asset that informs me so I can make decisions based on what's actually happening right now? based on making decisions that, you know, based on how things are, not how I was. And, you know, it really looking at, you know, no matter what the diagnosis is that people have, you know, I, I use kind of the framework of, of PTSD or, or trauma works. Look, I'm not saying everybody has that, but if you're in a room of 500 people and you say, who has trauma, a few hands go up. I mean, if you're in a informed group or a group of clinicians might be a lot more, but in that same room, if you say who has stress, or has experienced stress in their lives, everybody's hand is going to go up, you know, experience it. We experience stress all the time. And, you know, understanding that 
you know, when we can identify what these stressors are and mitigate them or find ways to lessen them. And that's often through activating things through the body, like mindfulness, movement, um, other forms of experiential therapies that, you know, there's different ones that work for different people, but to kind of settle that stress, when we settle that stress, then we can deal with what the presenting problem is a lot easier. So if I, if I did have depression, it becomes easier to deal with. If I have depression plus all this stress, it becomes harder to deal with. And I think when we look at, you know, people's instinctual responses to life, you know, which are their automatic kind of unconscious responses, anytime we're doing that, it's really a survival-based response. And that comes from, I believe, what is one of our chief problems is that we confuse discomfort with threat. And then we react to discomfort as if it's threat. We're actually having a, a, an appropriate response if something were threatening, like life-threatening, but we're doing it at an inappropriate time. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and and with that as well, because we are um, exposed to so much stress, you know, whether it's real, you know, stress from someone else or the one imagined by ourselves, um, we don't have enough time to recover from it. I mean, the way our bodies were designed was you have like an intense minute or two to survive, you know, run yep. away from fight from one run away from the threat or fight the threat um but then you know peace and calm afterwards to recover so we no longer have that right and you know when we look at the diagnosis of ptsd as an example it says that the person one of the criteria is that the person was exposed to actual you know or threatened violence you know in different forms in the dsm4 it said real or perceived and what that meant was if you, if something was actually happening to you, your nervous system was going to respond in survival mode. If you believe, but also if you believe something was happening to you, you will also respond like that. You know, and I think that's recognized in our society. You can be arrested for assault or battery. Battery is you hit me. Assault is you threatened to hit me, right? I mean, the, the things that have thrown us, I mean, there's a we look at terrorism. Terrorism is that people it, it puts people living in fear. It's not just the event. It's now that people think that event is going to happen all the time everywhere, and then they live in fear. And that's the that, that's their success. Please don't have a soundbite that terrorism is successful, but I mean right. that's the success of it. And you know, that's really important when we look at a lifespan because things that are not threatening to me right now at all could have been life-threatening when I was a child. As an adult, I can't be abandoned in a way that I can't fend for myself. I might feel really bad or feel sad if somebody dies or leaves me, or I might, you know, feel like it's it's the worst thing that's ever happened, but it's not actually physically threatening. Right. A baby or a three-year-old, if they're totally abandoned, it's life-threatening, right? And so if that was a pattern that was developed over time, and there's all kinds of things that can happen, people react in the, as adults to something that happened as a child and it's happening automatically unconsciously in a way that I feel like I'm a threat and I'm going to respond to it. And we, we see people do that. You know, they see somebody, you know, kids that maybe had to scream and yell just to get fed, you know, as adults, if that was a pattern that developed, now they're screaming and yelling to get fed. Now they might be much more polished with that. They might not actually be right. screaming and yelling, but they might be really controlling or manipulative or, or, or some other version of that. But when we can understand that history we can start to understand the additional stresses that we're bringing to present situations, which are really a transference of, of history on the moment at hand. 
Yeah, interesting you, you talk about that because, you know, one of the blessings that I've had had over the years, you know, not only on my medical training, but also training with one of the top coaching programs, but also the Snow Lion School of Integrated Energy Healing, which is a four-year course, uh, kind of like a sister course of Barbara Brennan School in, out of Miami. And what was very interesting is talk about trauma. And you and I talked about me believing that I was never traumatized growing up. Uh, because I had great parents, but we know differently, right? Uh, you know, just uh, a, a mom taking care of one child and then the other child is screaming for food. That's the trauma. Um, and so you mentioned abandonment. And it was fascinating because um, I had that experience as a child, like I'm sure every single child has in one form or another, just not aware of it. And I uncovered the process by which I responded to that, which was mind-blowing um, because I went through an experiential. And I know I know you know what those are. Um, but through that experiential, I uncovered my response to when I felt that somebody close to me was abandoning me. It was quite comical, my reaction. And fortunately, I figured that out and got rid of that reaction because it wasn't serving me. It wasn't serving yeah. anyone else. And that's why your work is so important. And, and the more that I recognize this is because here is the truth. I mean, we're all traumatized in one form or another, and we're all running programs that don't serve us. And when it's incumbent upon us to recognize when, you know, we're not showing up at our best, if you will. Um, and, and that's kind of a message. That's a signal. As Byron Katie says, you know, that's our work to do. And, and that's why the work that you do, especially with PTSD, you know, real PTSD in the sense of severe, you know, emotional um, uh, trauma because of an event. I mean, yeah, people need your help. Yeah, it, thank you. Um, and thank you for sharing a little bit about your story with that. That's, you know, I, 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 one of my, I, I always try to do this when I work with people is really broaden the definition and take out the energy of a word like trauma, you know, and sometimes mm -hmm. that's why I said we can substitute stress because even just saying that word, sometimes people will be, well, I don't have it. Right. Because they don't want to blame mm -hmm. their parents or they feel like it's now I've got, I'm, I'm, that means that I'm a victim or I'm saying that I don't take responsibility for what's happening now. Or yeah, you know, that was just life. And, um, those things aren't necessarily true because having a wonderful life and having trauma in your history is not mutually exclusive. In fact, it's mutually inclusive. You know, I mean, we all experience woundings, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and sometimes they're very subtle and we don't understand. I mean, I, I did a, a lot of work with the somatic experiencing training and I remember, you know, this is really looking at the, the, the very subtleties of the nervous system and how we heal from trauma and, I remember someone was doing an exercise in a training and they had broken their arm when they were very little and um, the arm had been set and all this kind of stuff. And, and, but they were talking about this incident where they'd broken their arm and the, the trainer had the person kind of walk through a doorway and then they walked through again, very slowly. And we were watching and this person who had, I think, broken their left arm as they walked through that door, just very subtly kind of did this little turn that you never would have noticed if you just saw them walking through the room. And it was a little bit of a turn that was a protection of that arm that was broken 40 years before. Mm -hmm. You know, there, and, and it, not that that's a huge deal, but, you know, 
when we really look at kind of how we want to perform and not just perform, you know, externally in the world, but perform emotionally, there might be some stress that's sitting there that we're not when we orient to that direction or try to use that arm for things or how maybe they participate or don't participate in things. And, you know, that's the same with us emotionally. There's these very subtle responses to things that we can look at and say, hey, you know, this program's still operating and it doesn't need to. And to, to move people from having automatic unconscious responses to events where they don't need them. There are automatic unconscious responses that we want, right? I, I, wanna, I want my breath to be automatic and unconscious. I, if I, I lost my keys three times today. If I had to remember to breathe, I, I, I wouldn't have made the podcast, I mean, the, the radio show. So, but, you know, I, I want to remember how to walk and move around and talk. I don't want to have to relearn that every day. But there's some programs that operate in the back that are maybe very subtle that just don't serve us. And we might not know them until we get into a new situation. I mean, right. so many times people tell me they didn't recognize any of this stuff and then they have kids and their kids get to the, a certain age that maybe they were having a tough time when, and, it, and it brings everything up, you know, or how they're parenting. I mean, how many times you hear people say, oh man, I, I can't believe this, but I sound like my dad now, right? And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means there's in reaction to something right now, there's a historical, uh, uh, you know, there's something in our history that that's, it's driving it. And doing work around that can allow us to kind of garner control over it and say, hey, this is what's happening. You know, this seems like something in the past. Do I want to employ the thing from the past or is it something different, right? And I think that takes out some of the, 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 the big, you know, heaviness of that word trauma or shame around it that people might have. And then some of the people, some people have very big things, right? But often when people have very big event-based trauma or, or, or things like combat or things like that, that most people maybe associate with PTSD, when we start looking at their history, how they responded to that, those events was informed by those programs that were running in the background all the way before. And not as a bad thing, but just to understand how do I operate, you know, and, 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 and what is it that's working? What isn't working and how can I move forward? And I think that's real transformation, you know, like to transcend the, the, the historical patterns and programmings that, that drive us automatically and really garner that control might not be the perfect definition of transformation, but uh, I'll throw it out there. No, that's great. I mean, you know, two of the book, my favorite books, uh, transformation books, and you may know these, and one is called Fear No Evil, and the other was is The Undefended Self. Um, one of them is written by Eva Pirakis and The Pathwork. And and I love, you know, the, the concept of becoming undefended, because it sounds like, you know, with all these triggers, we're defending ourselves, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we're fighting for our own survival. And all these things appear to be threats when there really are, aren't threats. And they're also unconscious. And unless you go on that path to kind of uncover, you know, what are those unconscious triggers uh, or what are those triggers that, you know, trigger the unconscious uh, programs, you know, how would life be like if you were undefended? Which then brings me to that next question. And then again, again, this is the work that we do certainly in, in coaching and personal development, you know, identity, right? You know, so where does identity fit in all this? you know, when it comes to you supporting people with their transformation, um, as obviously, you know, they identify as being a certain person and therefore need to respond in a certain way. Yeah. And, you know, oftentimes, especially when they're coming to me or, or in one of our facilities, you know, that that, that there's a, a really fixed identity of, of what and who they 
see, you know, who others see them as who they see themselves as, you know, and their history kind of defines that, you know, and maybe their behaviors define that. And I, I think education around that is really important. You know, we're not fixed as human beings. I, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe we're fixed. I believe we are a possibility and we're an ongoing possibility of, of reinvention. You know, maybe, maybe reincarnation is true and maybe it's not past lives. Maybe it's just in every moment, you know, that I can surrender my defenses, you know, become undefended, like you said, and, you know, author a different way of acting or being and changing the story going forward, you know, that then people can choose their identity, you know, and ask that question, who am I? you know, and be asked that question, who are you? And maybe that's an ongoing question with no answer. Now, maybe I'm getting a little bit esoteric here, but I think that is what's important because we get very fixed and people think this is how I am and their bodies get fixed. You know, I think in their, in their, their physical nature of themselves can get fixed and understand that we're, 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 we're not, you know, we're, we're a possibility that can be reinvented, can be reauthored. And, and that we can take control of that, you know, and that's, I think that is what you're talking about with the undefended. It's like, that's where the vulnerability is that I'm willing to, you know, face this thing that feels so uncomfortable, like that I'm going to almost, you know, that I might die from it. But if it's emotional pain, I'm not going to and really lean into it. You know, we first, there's a question I, I say that people can ask themselves if they're in these responses is first, Am I or is anyone around me in immediate physical danger? Mm -hmm. If the answer is no, and by the way, if you can ask that question, the answer probably is no, right? But it, 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 if, if the answer is no, then there's nothing that can't wait 45 seconds or 45 minutes or 45 days. And these things that present themselves as these problems that need to be handled right now, probably a large percentage of them work themselves out especially if they're relationship and emotional problems that we're dealing with, right? Or at least the intensity of it drops to a place that it's much more manageable. Um, and I, I, I think it's important for people to understand when you're coming back to your question that they get to declare and create their identity. And it doesn't have to be defined by the past, you know, and that, that's a challenge. But I think when people can get that, they stop feeling they stop feeling stuck. You know, hope, hope is not a strategy, but hope can really open up a possibility. You know, I, I think for people, you know, it's like a, giving them grace and to be able to see that, Hey, you know, all of these things that have happened to me, all of these things that I've experienced are not me. I'm the one experiencing them, you know, and, and then who am I, who am I as the one experiencing them? And then who do I want to be going forward? I don't know if that answers your question, but no, absolutely. I mean, there's so many things to to uh, unpack with all of that. And, you know, you just use the word hope and uh, that always triggers a, a very beautiful memory of my own. And that is um, I brought my own daughter. Uh, she was um, probably 19 at the time um, on a humanitarian trip to uh, New Zealand. And you're thinking, well, New Zealand, humanitarian. How's that? Well, anyhow, the point is, is that. Um, part of the program was to give like a TEDx talk. And I said to her, I says, okay, great. 
if you want to come with me, you got to do that because I wanted her to relate to people that could teach her many of the things, you know, how to become that better first uh, version of, of themselves, which is again, which is so lacking in our lives. We don't have enough models in our world that we can emulate so that we can learn and, and understand the nuances of what life is all about, you know, in a better, better way. But I love the fact that she said, oh yeah, sure, no problem. And then, um, so, okay, you, you could talk for about five, 10 minutes. Oh yeah. And then within two days she had written her whole thing and I hadn't even started mine. And then uh, it was about hope and her acronym stands for hold on pain ends. And so in a way, what you're saying there as well. Um, and that's the truth, right? I mean, it's all the meaning that we give um, the situation. So it's never the event itself, but it's the meaning that we give. And when I learned about the whole world of personal development, and it's, it's a funny story because I trained for 17 years in the rigors of the halls of medicine, right? Very intense, long hours, uh, once 36 hours nonstop in surgery. Um, had no clue about personal development and, um, and all the different nuances and distinctions that allowed me to better navigate myself. And one of which is, you know, it's what you focus on, you know, the focus, what you focus on, what it means, you know, what do you, what are you going to do about it? What's your behavior? But as you said, what do you want? And I don't think enough people spend enough time asking themselves, you know, what do I want? Or actually realize that this isn't a threat. And the author of, you know, Man's Search for Meaning basically stated, you know, the, the last freedom of man is to be able to choose how you feel in any given situation. And so, you know, it, it's these distinctions that have allowed me to better navigate, let's call it my own traumas, right? Um, and I say that with tongue in cheek, but it's true. You know, our, our doubts, our fears, you know, our failures, the meanings we give things, and recognize, no, we're just beautiful human beings giving ourselves permission to be have our faults and weaknesses and and needing guidance. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I I I love your daughter's acronym there, you know, and I, I think with every, you know, there's with everything we experience, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? And we just don't know how long the middle is. But you know, there, I, I haven't identified, I haven't experienced myself. I haven't seen it in anyone I've worked with or anyone I know that there's a emotional state that stays, you know, they it's, we call them emotion, emotion. It's kind of like e energy in motion, right? right? It's something that we're experiencing and, you know, there's, when it fits what we're experiencing, what we, what we see out here, it feels right. Or if it doesn't feel good, we're like, this should move. And in reality, there's, you know, there's things that we're experiencing that we should have a, a, an uncomfortable feeling and that's fine. And to be able to fully, fully experience them rather than try to avoid them or, or, or change them, you know, and, and, and then we move, we move through them. And I think what, what Frankel said is great, you know, that they can choose what to experience. But I think that the kind of deeper meaning to that might be that if I'm experiencing anger, I'm going to choose anger. Like, not that I want to stay angry, but I'm going to experience it, you know, or I'm going to choose the sadness that I'm in control of it, you know, whether I, it started with me or not. But, you know, if, if when a, a family member I have dies, I don't want to just be like, eh, you know, let's move on. I, you know, I don't, I won't like it then, but I hope that I feel a lot of pain. Right. And, and, and then no, hey, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to be with this and I'm going to be in it. Yeah, no, I totally See what's agree. what's next. Yeah. 
I totally agree. And, and there's a great uh, poem by Rumi, uh, The Guest House. Yeah. Uh, you're familiar with Yeah. And yeah. so with the work that I've done with other people, uh, came to the conclusion that, you know, everything makes sense, right? And so come to a place of curiosity when you see somebody's you know, else bizarre behavior. And bizarre, whether it's positive or negative, it doesn't matter. But all behavior makes sense. And, you know, when we can begin to look at our behavior from that prism, then to ask ourselves, you know, what do I need right now? Do I need to be heard? Do I need to be healed? Do I just need to be held? And then yeah. say, thank you, because, you know, this this is our process of incarnation on this planet in this physical form, if you will. And, and, it, and it is to learn. And it is to kind of overcome this. And then hopefully, you know, serve other people with the insights that, that you've gotten. But, you know, the, the truth is, is that, you know, um, it is a choice. Um, and as, as triggering as this might be for people, um, when you see the most insane atrocities happen to individuals, and they're like the happiest people on the planet. So like, how's this even possible? And so that's where we get to recognize that that's our opportunity to have better choices, not, not to be that victim. But, and that's my big fear for, you know, the younger generations now is the, this whole sense of entitlement and, and now they're all victims and, and, you know, I'm not to get political here, but that's the undercurrent of all the problems that we have in society with Facebook and everything else. You know, everybody's a victim and not willing to take responsibility for where they are as hard as it, as it might be, but it is, it is a choice. And, you know, two people that I admire very much, Tony Robbins is one of them, you know, teaches, you know, adopting a beautiful state, you know, it's a choice. You can adopt a beautiful state. Uh, so that's one hack. There's another hack from another guy that I really admire. And that's Sean Callagy from the unblinded group. And uh, I don't know where he got, he got this from, from, but one of the, the easiest hacks, you know, when you're in a bad mood or you're in a bad state is just to do 20 pushups. And I'm telling you that gives you an endorphin rush that it's really hard to be pissed off. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And there's a lot in, in, in what you said too. And, you know, bringing up Frankel, you know, he developed logotherapy, which is really, you know, the therapy of meaning and where we have that choice and what state we want to develop, I think is very much informed by what meaning we're giving whatever's happening, you know, and people say everything happens for a reason. I don't know if, if you just say that, I think it, we're now we're kind of in a victim stance with that. Like it's just, I, I think everything does happen for a reason and we get to choose that reason after the fact, right? We get to decide what meaning is that going to bring. And, you know, as, as when events happen in, to us, the event itself is neutral. Somebody's born, somebody dies. There's no, there's no intrinsic positivity or negativity to that. We bring it all. And I don't think we should not bring meaning. Meaning is what makes life, our, you know, our relationships rich and meaningful and we can experience love and joy and all of that stuff. But we just need to understand, I think, that we're, we're the ones bringing the meaning to it. And when we can do that, we can start really, you know, gaining some agency over our lives because a lot of the meaning we'll bring is from that victim state. Like they're doing something wrong. This isn't like that. And people might be doing things that aren't congruent and they might be doing things that everybody agrees is bad. But in the first kind of step to being able to make any change, we've got to be able to take our own responsibilities, clean our side of the street and be able to look at, you know, what is it that we're bringing? And then therefore, what can we bring to any of these situations? But we are control of that meaning. And then therefore, the state that we bring, if I've given this the meaning that it's going to kill me, 
I don't have much control over my state at that point, right? I'm going into survival mode. Yeah, one of the cool, you know, uh, differentiators for me that I learned and I just reminded, uh, got reminded with what you just shared, and I have to keep on reminding myself of this one, and it's super powerful, and and it's simply this, is that when you blame someone else for your fate, you're actually giving up your power, and, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, embracing your power, your value, your identity, to be that person who you want to be and not get stuck in these negative states of, of scarcity. You know, sometimes, you know, I get in that state, right? Because of all the things that I'm doing and, and the big mission that I have. And then if I'm thinking, Oh crap, um, I can't make it for one reason or another, you know, then we get the sense of scarcity and, and that's that tends to be a threat, you know, which most people will see in that way. And therefore, you get back into yeah. your monkey brain, and you're not breathing, and you're not doing all the right things. <clears throat> when the truth is, you've got choices. And it's it's those nuances of, of not being stuck with the outcome, you know, knowing that you have uh, flexibility, and yeah. knowing that, you know, it's a matter of uh, relationships and resourcefulness. I mean, there's so many different ways you can go. You know, it's except for the fact that, well, maybe it's not going to happen right now. Okay. Does that matter? You're right. Unless you're about ready to fall off a cliff or something, but that's different. That's a real threat. But most threats well, aren't real. Yeah. And I, just adding one thing with this, you know, I'm a, a, a therapist by training. So I think it's important to, to add this and maybe some transformational coaches will disagree, but I, I hope not. You know, we talk about these things where people can make choice and bring meaning and, you know, and, and, and hold their power. There are people and there'll probably be people listening to this that are maybe compromised in a way at the moment that they're either emotionally vulnerable. It might be because of, you know, addictive behaviors or things like that, that it does take work to build the foundation before we can get there. You know, if it was as simple as me going around just saying, you've got choice, you know, I, 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 I that book would be, would sell everybody if we could, everybody would buy it if we could do it. Right. And so there's like, there, there kind of probably like, you know, in, in medicine, there's a point at which, you know, someone has to be in the hospital, you know, and then they have to rehab a little bit and then they can start running again. And I think, that's why it's important to have some professionals work with you so that you're not the one making those decisions on your own and staying in those states that are going to keep you, you know, keep you down, but be able to, you know, get some help. And sometimes that help is, you know, it's experiential therapy. Sometimes it's other body-based therapy. Sometimes it's talk therapy. Sometimes it's medical interventions, you know, with, with, with medicine. That's not a, you know, that shouldn't be a thing that's out of the picture for everyone because sometimes people need that to help them get through the the, the parts that are, are are really challenging for them to be able to get to the place where they can really experience a transformation. No, I, I like I love the way you carefully navigated that one. That was brilliant. <laughs> um, and yeah, you're spot on. I mean, I, I was a little bit uh, casual with, yeah, it's your choice. And I have to agree. I mean, everybody has yeah. a different situation for sure. And it's that mental acumen and mental awareness or mental wherewithal at any given time that certainly might be compromised. Uh, absolutely. Um, and with that, I would say, yeah, definitely get the right kind of help. Um, and if you find somebody that has, is challenged, you know, step out and help them too, right? Right. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. And, that, and this is the big thing that, that I feel that's lacking so much in the world of health and wellness as people aren't collaborating and, and we absolutely need to collaborate together. 
So, you know, um, coaching does one thing, therapy does another, we can work together. And then we have different, you know, collaborators, nutrition and all that kind of stuff. Um, but clearly, I mean, uh, you, you are amazing at what you do. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I wasn't so much speaking to what you said. It's, I think there's a lot of navigating mental health by memes out there right now, or, mm. you know, people saying I did this and it made me better. So now you should do this. And it's, yeah. you know, it's not always the same for everybody, right? Not everybody, I mean, they're seeing some amazing thing with psychedelics, you know, there's some amazing results coming out of the studies and it's not for everybody. Right. I mean, we saw amazing breakthroughs with antibiotics in the, whatever there was the forties, but now there's people that are allergic to them and can die. So there's a complexity in all of the stuff that we have to look at people and see where, you know, where, where, and when can we employ the strategies that we're going to use to help them best? You know, interesting. You, you do bring up psychedelics and, and I'll be the first to admit, I know very little of them. Um, but intuitively it's, it's my impression that, uh, and from what I've experienced for others is that, uh, unless you really do the deep work and are effectively guided by the right people, um, any of that work is is either temporary or just going to make things worse or not even better at all, um, simply because you're not doing the deep work. And ultimately, that's, that is what I believe. You have to be able to do the deep work with the right people, with the right guidance, because then, then you are absolutely free from it all. I don't think any yeah. drug can ever do that. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the one doing the research with all that, but, and, and so my, my comments on this are anecdotal and just my, my viewpoint, but I think anything like that, you know, it, it's creating an altered state, you know, and there are some of these out there that might show that there's some rebuilding in the neuropathways and things like that. And I, I'm not going to get into all that, but I think just generally speaking, it helps people see things in a different way that oftentimes, you know, I even see like, post-traumatic stress disorder, there's kind of a post-traumatic state disorder and mm -hmm. we're stuck in a certain state mm -hmm. and, you know, people can do things and, and it's happening with psychedelics that help them move and see, wow, I can feel this way, right? It's a, it's a touchstone experience that goes, wow, now how do I go build, you know, it's like I got to the, I saw the top floor, I saw where I wanted to be, but there was no elevator or staircase. Now, how do I go build the elevator or staircase. You know, I, I, I utilize breath work for that, you know, where, you know, more of a clinical kind of uh, like breath work, that's not really focused right. on upregulation or down, but more a process in which people can really experience what's going on with them emotionally. And sometimes in those experiences, people are like, I forgave my mom or I did this. And, you know, I don't, I, I, I for me, I I'm careful to say, you know, that was a, a way for you to feel like that and really see what you, what's possible now, like what you said, go do the deep work to, to be able to make that sustainable and actionable because otherwise now we're just leaning on something else, right? It's like, every time I feel bad, I got to lay down on a mat and do breath work, or I have to take a psychedelic. And I don't think anybody that's doing it. Well, maybe there's some people who want to do that, but I, I, for me and working with the people and the clients I work with, I'd like to get them to a state where, you know, they have choice, they, they really have choice over those states. And it's not something that's driving them from their history that's survival based and all of that. So I, I think there's a lot of ethic to be, this is a much longer conversation. There's a lot of ethics to be, you know, developed around the psychedelics and all of the administration of them. And I think that's starting to happen, but um, I, I agree with you. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a way for people to see themselves differently or see the world differently so that then they can, you know, get to that possibility much quicker, I think. Yeah. And and again, I, I'm not educated enough on that. So um, I just have my personal bias and, and limited perspective. Yeah. But intuitively, I do believe that doing things like breath work, doing the Joe Dispenza work, 
you know, where it's, it's a natural process by which, you know, you are um, modifying your physiology, you know, through neural feedback or whatever. Um, it makes a lot more sense. It's a lot more gentle. And ultimately you're, you're combining that work um, with the, the deep work at the same time, which right. I think is, is, is very, very relevant. I mean, I definitely feel that, you know, I, I think a world of people like Carlos Castaneda and, you know, his journey, um, but that's a unique human being, right? That's a unique human being on a specific journey doing certain things and with all the guidance. And, yeah. and you know, we are not that person, right? And so the 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 fantasy that, yeah, we could have that same experience uh, isn't isn't quite there. But again, I mean, that's 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 our our opinion. But yep. what I do believe what you're doing is so instrumental because, yeah, we're all traumatized. And and as, as much as I shared with you when I went to my psychologist because I'd learned everything through personal development and I wanted to go to that next level. And then my psychologist told me that I was traumatized and I fired him. Uh, the truth, the truth is, is that. Which may have been a, a reaction to your trauma, but that's a whole, that's. For well, whole. There, there you go. <laughs> I actually hadn't thought of that, by the way. Um, but I mean, when I fell into the world of personal development, I, I was like a little kid in a candy store because now I knew all this pent up energy and, and I, I maybe it was confusion too, because I couldn't understand why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. Um, it was, was brilliant. And, um, but again, having the right people like yourself, you know, guiding us with the specific distinctions, the nuances, the, the perspectives, I mean, just the perspective of, you know, it's not the event itself that's causing anything. As you said, it's neutral. It's the meaning that you give the event. And what meaning you give it is something completely different than an entirely other person. Um, and so that's that's where people like you are so helpful for us to be able to navigate the complexities of our lives if we take a moment, right? You know, when we can't, obviously, but when we take a moment to kind of put in a context perspective or breathe, and figure out where my keys are. Well, I'll add a, uh, if, if you want to take it, I'll add a hack that comes from one of my teachers. Um, he's a, a older gentleman, Yogi Amrit Desai. Um, he, uh, he says, if you want to change your mind, first change your breath. You know, that when we can, you know, and, and what I take that to mean is when we're stressed, when we're, you know, in that kind of survival mode in some sort of way, we're probably breathing a certain way, right? And and they're or holding our breath or whatever. But if we can take a moment and really slow our breath, I mean, when we're stressed like that, there's part whether you think you're going to be hurt or not okay or whatever. There's a part inside of us that's reacting to this as if it's a if it's a threat, right? And you're going into some sort of fight or flight. It might be emotional flight or fight. It might be actual, you know, running away from something. Um, but if you can slow down your breath for a couple moments. I think it sends another signal to your brain that says, Hey, if I can breathe like this, I'm probably not a threat. Yeah. Another one that's interesting is if you breathe through your mouth, it activates the sympathetic system. Yeah. And it's the inhale, or it's the exhale that does it. Right. We often tell people take a deep, take a deep breath, which you have to breathe in to do it. What we should say to people is take a long exhale because that inhale is more sympathetic and that exhale is more parasympathetic, right? If we're looking at kind of the fluctuation, because that's when the energy is coming in. 
So if you can do a breath where you just, and I, I do this in a way where, you know, you breathe in and then slowly breathe out through softly pursed lips, like you're breathing through a straw and just give it a really long exhale that can really start to bring you into that parasympathetic nervous system really quickly. Oh, that's a great hack. So now we got the push-up hack and now we got this breath hack. Oh, that's amazing. Do them so, all at once. Do them all at once, <laughs> right. Um, well, this conversation is amazing. And, and I hope uh, that we have more of these, especially on the Doctor's Guy podcast, because this is the kind of conversations that people need to hear so that they really can begin to navigate and accept themselves and recognize, you know what, um, there's hope for me. And, and however you want to label, you know, whatever's going on. Um, but certainly not labeling ourselves. You know, labels don't define us and we don't define the labels either, which is so important. Um, you know, our behavior, all behavior is either a call for help uh, or a um, an act of love. And most people are crying today for help. And that's what most behavior is. And, and all the insane things that happen, the road rage, whatever it is, you know, forget the judgment for a moment, love people unconditionally is recognized people are crying for help and if you are able to give that then obviously so uh, i'd like to give you the final word and how do people get a hold of you ryan uh i mean you can go to my website ryanswab.com uh that's probably the easiest way to get there if you want to contact me you can put a note in there and um uh and that's it i'd, I'd be happy to hear from you and and uh whether you want to me to point you in the right direction or you want to debate me or whatever i, I welcome it all all right. And then anything either a call for it's either a call for help or a call for love. Either one, I'll take there that. you go. All right. And then any final words that you want to share? No, that's it. Just thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I, I hope we get to meet in person one day soon and, and continue these talks. No, absolutely. And and once again, I want to edify you. I mean, the kind of work that you do is so critically important as a thought leader, you know, and a pioneer and sharing with the rest of the world, you know, how it is that we can better help others, you know, with these issues. Um, because there is so much going on. And, you know, when so many of you are out there supporting others, um, and if we can just begin to educate our kids on all this stuff early on, you know, life would be so very different. Well, Ryan Swab, thank you so much. <clears throat> I'm thank Dr. Bart Rademacher, and this is the prescription for your transformation, real people, real conversations, and real success, and tapping into that collective wisdom so we can generate the space for uh, peaceful awareness and also part of the Doctor's Guide podcast, Ron and Filtered, and looking forward to having Ryan with a guest where we get to role play uh, all sorts of really cool things and help you make better decisions for you. Thanks again, and I'll be back. Thanks for listening to Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Join Dr. Bart Rademacher live right here on StarWorldWideNetworks.com or on demand 24-7.